Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your tour guide through history, and in today's journey, we're going to explore the Quakers and their roughly 100-year history in Battle Creek, Michigan. Now, the Quakers settled all over southwest Michigan, but I'm going to focus on the history of the group of Quakers that helped found Battle Creek in this episode. I will be looking into some other Quaker history in other parts of southwest Michigan in the future. So let's go back in time. So the Quakers were known as the Society of Friends, and the Quaker religion still exists throughout the world today. It's just no longer in this part of Michigan, or at least not in Battle Creek, per se. And the origin of the Society of Friends in Battle Creek dates back to 1837, the year when the three Merritt brothers, Joseph, Isaac, and Abraham, and their brother-in-law, Jonathan Hart, came to the little wilderness settlement and developed the land that they had purchased from General Ezra Convis and Nathaniel Barney, pioneer settlers, in 1835. They had bought the half interest in the original purchase of land, and the other half was owned by Sands McCamley, who built the mill race downtown and created the water power between the two rivers. Along with the three Merritt brothers was Jonathan Hart. Now, Jonathan Hart came from Washington County, New York, and his wife, Mary, was a Merritt sister. So she was the sister of Joseph, Isaac, and Abraham. Now, interestingly enough, Joseph Merritt was married to Phoebe Hart, the sister of Jonathan Hart. So Jonathan Hart and Joseph Merritt were double brother-in-laws, I guess you would describe it as, because they were each each other's brother-in-law. You see how that works? When Jonathan Hart and the Merritt brothers arrived in the area, they came by pony on the Indian Trail. There's an account in the Michigan Historical and Pioneer Collections in Volume 5, written by the pioneer schoolmaster, ADP Van Buren, who I've talked about in the past on this podcast. And he wrote about them. They all belonged to the Religious Order of Friends, or Quakers, and they were all men of marked ability, sterling integrity, and possessed comprehensive views of men and things. Mr. Hart, Joseph, and Isaac Merritt removed here in 1837. They brought with them their liberal and pacific principles, condemning no man who differed from them in religious belief and were ever found faithful to the observance of their own tenets always claiming that everyone should be allowed the privilege of worshiping God according to the dictates of their own conscience. Joseph Merritt owned a large tract of land, and his house actually still exists today. It was on the corner of Northeast Capitol Avenue in Orchard Place. After he passed, it was occupied by his grandson, William Guest Merritt, for a number of years. Today, it is an office building on that corner. Jonathan Hart owned a large section of land on the corner of Capitol Avenue, right where the YMCA is. And his land went all the way back to the river, and he had quite a tremendous parcel. But they all did, because they purchased half of an 800-acre parcel 
when they acquired their half of what was known as the Guernsey Purchase. And I've described that in other episodes, so I won't go into a lot of detail about that, but it was initial large purchase of downtown Battle Creek that we know today, including all of the north side of Battle Creek, and it was called the Guernsey Purchase. And it was named after Jonathan Guernsey, the man who laid claim to the deed originally and was later purchased by others. But by the time the Quakers came into the scene, Sands McCamley owned the other half of the Guernsey purchase, and they owned 400 acres roughly, plus rights to the water power. And Jonathan Hart established a mill in the downtown area. And it was actually the largest mill. It was the third mill built in town, and it became famous to the original settlers throughout the entire district. Now, the Quakers brought with them their religious faith. At first, they worshipped in each other's homes, but after a few years, they built their own church. The first Quaker church in Battle Creek was built in 1843, and it was on the site that is now occupied by St. Philip's Catholic Church in Battle Creek. And it was there for nearly 20 years, and the Society of Friends gathered there, and the women on one side of the building and the men on the other for their first day of meetings. And that was how these Quaker meeting houses or Quaker uh, churches were built. They had two doors on the front. The women entered one side, and the men entered the other side, and they prayed side by side in silence until they were done. There was no combined gathering space with a preacher at the front and listening to a sermon. It wasn't conducted that way. Now, Joseph and Phoebe Merritt kept their home open as a prominent meeting place for anti-slavery workers, and they had frequent guests come through town and speak at their house. And some of the noted persons of the day were William Lloyd Garrison, Wendell Phillips, Parker Pillsbury, Henry Wright, Lucy Stone, and Sojourner Truth, and she was a frequent speaker at the Merritt House. From the early start and their arrival in the Battle Creek area, the Quakers busied themselves in the interests of the abolition movement. Joseph never took to the platform himself, so he never got up and spoke about it publicly, but he created the platform where others could speak, and they devoted their time in their home to that cause. Erastus Hussey was another Quaker that arrived, and he was a merchant downtown, and he carried the burden of handling Battle Creek's Underground Railroad Station during the years that the Underground Railroad operated. He was the station master in downtown Battle Creek. And it's estimated that at least 1,000 fugitive slaves were transported to safety through Battle Creek under the watchful eye of Erastus Hussey. Erastus Hussey later in life said that once the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed, the task of the abolitionists was completed, and the Quakers seemed to be going into a decline in Battle Creek at that point. Hussey himself described the situation saying that the mission of the old abolition party and also the Quakers had been given, like they had reached their final goal, and they had performed their part And their day being over, they began to retire from the stage of action. And they removed themselves from public life in terms of that regard. And the Quakers began to drift apart. Some of them became spiritualists, and they formed a branch of the Society of Friends, which became known as the Progressive Friends. And these spiritualists established themselves in Battle Creek, and they held meetings 
and they had gatherings of what they called circles, and I've talked a little bit about that with my episode on Harmonia. Harmonia was a village about five miles west of Battle Creek at the time that was founded on spiritualism by some Quakers out there. And to give some insight into what some of the stout Quakers thought of this new spiritualism movement, there's an interesting quote I found from Mrs. Minnie Merritt Fay, who's was the daughter of Charles Merritt, and, and Charles Merritt was the son of Joseph Merritt. And she said that her father, Charles Merritt, had become interested in the new movement, but he was also a very stout Quaker. And she says he used to remark that it was a beautiful thing to have faith in the spirit life of the dead. So their numbers finally greatly diminished, and the Quakers sold their modest, unpretending church to the early Catholic settlers in Battle Creek in 1860. And the building was continued to be used by the Catholic Church until 1879 when the new Catholic Church was built on the site and the old uh, Quaker meeting house was torn down. They apparently established themselves on North Avenue in the area that was known as the Myers Toy Store for a time. I don't think that business exists anymore in Battle Creek, but that was where their new meeting house was, and it was also a burial ground. And then they later moved it to what was to become Fremont Park and now is known as Quaker Park. And they held their meetings there until the very end as the Quaker membership started going into decline. They leased the land that is now Quaker Park to the city of Battle Creek. And they signed a 99-year lease with the city of Battle Creek in 1899. And so the lease expired in 1998. And it was agreed that the city of Battle Creek would pay $50 to the Quakers once a year for renting the space. And the money was paid to an organization up in Canada which was called the Pelham Half Yearly Meeting of Canada. And as of the article that I found this mentioned in, in 1937, the city of Battle Creek had been paying that fee annually for 38 years for use of Quaker Park. So interesting history about Quaker Park. That used to be a cemetery. And as part of the agreement that the Quakers made with the city of Battle Creek regarding Quaker Park... The park should never be used to exhibit a circus or any show or amusement. And the Quakers were allowed to continue to hold their meetings in the Quaker meeting house that was in the park until the last of the remaining Quakers in the community had passed away. In 1973, in the Inquirer and News, they covered a story about George Case, who lived in the country and would come to the Quaker meeting house once a week. And he was the last remaining Quaker using the meeting house. And then he was no longer able to continue to come. And that was 1918. And in 1900, all of the graves in Quaker Park were disinterred and moved to Oak Hill Cemetery. But George Case was an interesting story about the legacy of Quaker Park, and the devotion of the Quakers to the meeting house. 
and he would ride into Battle Creek faithfully each week, staying the night with a friend and holding a service by himself in the little meeting house. And he kept this up until 1918, when he could no longer make the trip, mainly due to poor health conditions. Today, when you visit Quaker Park, there is a concrete area marking the location where the meeting house was, and there's a historic marker there. There's also some historic markers throughout the park, and they mention the history of the burial grounds at the park, as well as some of the history of the Merritt family and other Quakers that lived in the area. Now, returning to Jonathan Hart, he was an interesting man. He built one of the first flour mills in the town and built the first large one that became a well-established flour mill in the city. He was also elected to the state legislature in 1840, and he was elected as a village president in Battle Creek, and he was serving in that role when he passed away on March 1st, 1858 and he was 63 years old when he died before he had entered the milling business he was in the mercantile trade uh, with richard titus in 1847 hart joined with a man named cleveland ellis and john gardner in building the community's largest mill as i mentioned before and it was located on the northeast corner of state street and there's a sign or historic marker in that location today. Gardner was the experienced miller of the group. Hart was not an experienced miller at the time, and so he put his skills against the cash provided by Hart and Mr. Ellis. And Mr. Ellis, whose name still survives in the Assyria Township area, and he moved to Battle Creek, and he purchased a house on Maple Street, which is now capitol avenue northeast and then eventually he later on moved back to assyria township now the mill that they built burned down in 1848 and was rebuilt by mr hart and this time he employed a man by the name of silas pitty as the millwright and then mr hart took his son thomas hart into the business in 1857 and Thomas Hart would continue that operation until uh, Jonathan Hart passed away in 1858. In 1885, the property in 1885 the property where the mill existed was sold to J.C. Larkin, who in turn sold it to William Wheelock in 1892. And then in 1902, the property was acquired by the Commercial Travelers and Farmers National Food Company, and became the home of grape sugar flakes. Another fire destroyed the building in January of 1903, but it was again rebuilt. After grape sugar flakes succumbed, the building was used for various purposes in town, including a temporary post office, until it was eventually torn down, and today it is a parking lot. And as I mentioned, there's a historic marker there. For many years, the name Hart was on the name of the street that is now known as East Van Buren Street. And it was changed to East Van Buren Street because the other part of the street was called Van Buren Street. So they got rid of the Hart name, and that was the last time Hart was on a street in Battle Creek, Michigan. After the last Quaker was no longer coming to the meeting house, the building was used as a tool shed at Quaker Park for about 47 years by the park department. 
and then it was torn down because it was deemed to be a fire hazard. But for a long time, you could still visit Quaker Park during those years when it was there and see the building with the two doors side by side where men went in one side and women on the other when they worshipped there in silence and they had a colonnade between them. Going back to the moving of the Quaker Cemetery to Oak Hill for a minute, there's a couple of interesting stories about that. The prior burial ground was over on North Avenue, which if you're familiar with Battle Creek, there used to be a small toy store called Myers Toy Store on North Avenue, which was kind of in the vicinity of the high school area. That was the first burial ground area for the Quakers. And then when the city kind of grew up around it with houses, they moved it again out into the country, which was where Fremont Park is. And that was their second burial ground. And then they moved their burial ground again to Oak Hill Cemetery in 1900. And when they moved the burial ground the final time to Oak Hill, one of the coffins they dug up was quite unique. And I found an article written on it. It was called The Mott Casket. The story I found describes that there was a coffin fit to shape the body with elevations for the head, breast, and feet on the sides of the iron box for the arms. On the breast of the rusty, dirt-covered casket was a silver plate bearing the name Mary A. Mott, age 59. This was examined by a jeweler and found to be of pure silver. It was seven inches long and about four inches wide. The exterior of the box was fashioned into metallic draperies and folds, and over the face was an iron plate decorated with a floral design. The bed of the casket was screwed onto the upper portions, and there were six rusty handles to lift it by. The weight was not exactly known, but the coffin was considered to be quite heavy, described as a heavy affair. I did a little research on it. This was a style of coffin that was unique during that time period, and they were being made on the East Coast. And I traced down who Mary Mott was, and she had been someone that was a relative of somebody in this Quaker community, and she had the cof- they had the coffin made in the East, and she was shipped here to be buried by alongside some relatives, I believe, at the time. And her death was somewhere in the 1800s. And the design for Quaker Park, which at that time was known as Fremont Park when the Quakers turned it over to the city, Robert T. Newberry, a Chicago architect who had designed the Phelps Sanatorium and Post Tavern, as well as the American Steam Pump Company's office in Battle Creek, he was the one that submitted the design to the city for what was to become Fremont Park. And so the design that you see there at Quaker Park today was designed by Robert T. Newberry. And the park held the name Fremont Park until October of 1921, when the name was changed to Quaker Park in memory of the Society of Friends of Quakers. And that was pretty much closing out the legacy of the Quakers in the city of Battle Creek. And that is going to conclude today's episode, looking back in time at the history of the Quakers in the Battle Creek area. 
If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. There's a contact form on there. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a review or a rating on whatever app that you are listening on and share this podcast with others. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.